Welcome to another powerful message from One Life OK. We really hope you enjoy it. I think I'm going to talk today about treasure and ponder, but we'll see. I um, I had um, a, a moment this week where I was um, I was hearing different stories from some of y'all in the tribe, and I I began to have this um, sense of groaning. I guess is the best word for it. Um, I probably wouldn't have even been able to put that together. I think Cece's words helped put words to how I was feeling, which is interesting, isn't it, since she's a feeler, and I didn't tell her how I was feeling about any of this. She didn't even know anything about it still. But, um, you know, I was thinking that this this statement came to me, is that um, how well I know my value is how well I execute my authority. Before you just shake your head, yes. Think about that for a minute. How well that we know our value. Now, how is value assigned? Let's think about it for a minute. Um, Maybe some of y'all, this isn't a big leap for you, but you know, how is the American dollar assigned value? Like when you go to Mexico, why is it like a couple of of pesos or whatever is equal to the How is value assigned? Think about that for a second. And you are assigning value all the time. And that's why, that's what drives us. I mean, if you go to the store and... You know, I have value for seeing well, and my my birthday's coming up, so I'm already throwing out the the fishing hook to my friends, and I want new glasses, you know, because I my nose piece broke this week, and that's just enough for me to want a new pair, even though I got another, me put another discolored nose piece on there. <laughs> I gave her the discolored nose piece, but you know, it's just no good. I'm not going to like that for very long, right? Even though I can't even see the nose piece when I take my glasses off because I can't see without my glasses on. But that's a, I signed that a value. In that moment that I lost my nose piece, it lost value. Something I was fine with. Are you with me? And so I was thinking, you know, I lost my Bible gateway. That made me mad. So I began to search for a valuable replacement, right? Because I have a lot of value for how I read the Word. And, you know, it, it was really hard to give up because it had all my features the way I liked it. And, you know, and I'm still in search of a good one. Don't send me any. But anyway, um, <laughs> but I I was thinking about this verse when I started thinking about value, and it's in Matthew 10. You don't have to turn there, and I don't, unfortunately, have a slide because I wasn't sure what I was going to talk about. Um, Let me see if I can find it. It's Matthew 13-something. See, I didn't even write it down, so did I tell you what it was? 10, 13. Maybe it's 10, 13. Is that it? No. Hang on. Just be patient with me. 1031. See, I just inverted it. 
Okay, it's Matthew 10, 31. Um, it says that, um, aren't you worth more? And in the Amplified, I believe it's, aren't you more valuable than this many sparrows? You know, he's talking about, you know, that chapter, right? Should I just back up? It says, don't be afraid or intimidated by others. <laughs> That's one of the things it says. Um, don't fear those who can kill only the body, but not your soul. I mean, it sounds, this is the loving Jesus. It's in red. You can buy two sparrows with a copper penny, but even if one sparrow falls from its nest, the father knows about it. And then the next statement is, aren't you worth more than the sparrows? Aren't you more valuable? But when you look up that word valuable, it's not used very many times in the Bible, but it means to carry. And so let's think about my original statement again. So how well I know I'm valued has to do with how well I yield or wield or execute or use my greatest gift that God's given me. He gave me authority to trample over everything but Him. So anything I face, right, anything that comes up against me, I have an assigned value from the Creator that is measured by Him. Now see, when I say yes to that, then that means that I will accept what He says about me. And so... You know, I was listening to Bill this week, and I just love this message of his. I think it's from back. I told Tessa to listen to it and Christy to listen to it um, in December. And he was talking about Mary and how she treasured and pondered the promise. Now, what's your promise? What's your promise? See, when I think about that, what has God promised me? He's promised me that I will never be in lack. See, that speaks directly to how the enemy tried to scare me. See, your promise attracted The enemy. How do you feel about that? See, that makes me feel valuable. Some people, that's like, well, why is that the plan? Surely nobody's in here going, why is that the plan? That sounds like suffering. And... What he said was so interesting, and I, I propose this is what we're trying to teach you right now, is that she would take out the promises and she would ponder them. She would review them. But she would only do it in safety. 
What's safety? How many have heard, had a promise from God? And you, anybody had a promise from God? Yeah. Well, super. And you took it and you told somebody. Has anyone done this? That was probably from your past that you thought they're going to celebrate you. Just like Tessa dancing like an Indian, right? And then they said what over it? What'd they say? This ain't real. That ain't true. But why did you think it was a promise? See, your promise, let's call it your memo from God. Have you ever, got, have you ever had a memorandum? <laughs> I used to work in a corporate office and they would send out a memo. The, the real word for it is memorandum. See, I've taught you something to new, to new today. See, your promise is your memo from God to you. And see, I know this is hard for us, but it attracts the enemy. I love... What he said, he said, um, the word of the Lord actually attracts conflict. Why is it conflict? Because there's an enemy. You know, let's look at America for a minute. Now, not the cruddy America, but the cool America, okay? Does anybody still feel cool about America? Go to Haiti. Is what I got to say to you right now. Go to Haiti if you don't feel cool about America. Okay. Why is everyone wanting to get into America? Why, why is it that we have maybe a little bit of trouble getting into America? Not as much as maybe we should have. Or, don't get me started on that. But anyway, it's a different point I'm making. Because we have something valuable. Why did he say, don't throw your pearls before swine? What does that mean? What's a pearl? Something valuable. Who are the swine? They can't see the assigned value in it. Because they're pigs. (laughs) Some of them are truly pigs. But anyway. Who assigned the value? Right. So see, as I become aware of how valuable I am to Him, then it changes how I conduct what's valuable to Him. It changes where I put this heart, where I put my money, where I put my time. Let me just help y'all. I never talk about this, but You know, I know that you put your money on what's valuable to you. And I will tell you, it's just a principle of God, but God requires you to tithe to this house if this is where you get fed. And if you're not, your finances aren't protected. Now that, you may not like that. I did not make these rules. 
But that's just the reality of the system that God made to protect you. And he even said, prove, let me prove myself to you. Give me an opportunity with your measly little 10%. I mean, I have quit giving 10%. Watch out, Cheryl. Cheryl's about to get on her soapbox right now. And I, this is just one area. It's the same with time. It's, a t- it, it's, it's because you have to assign a value because your life depends on it. Your destiny is required to be housed in a community that knows who you are. I wish there was some other way and you could go flip, run independent, naked through the streets if you wanted to. But he just has a system. Just like you can't eat metal. You can't eat a bunch of screws later and think you're going to be healthy. There's a system in place in everything. Agreed? And so at it, what Tess and I talked about yesterday, and I don't even know if we talked about it. I thought we talked about it, but I maybe didn't actually say these words to her, but um, <laughs> I just thought about that. But, but all of those ways that, that she said were hard were like very low-level involvement from me. <laughs> they were like, I barely know you. Let me just throw out a suggestion. I love what it says in the book that y'all are reading. This is, this is a little quote from him, okay? He says, I have always been convinced, and I feel the same way. To, uh, Shudi says that this book is about me, but I have always been convinced that telling people what to do makes them weaker. I feel the same way about giving people answers rather than guiding them with questions. That's why I'm the question master. Answers are like an aqueduct designed to carry your thoughts to a particular destination. The best questions function like a well. The right questions dig deeper and deeper into our own assumptions, values, and motives. I don't know if you know it, but that's really what I'm trying to change. Your assumptions, values, and motives. Listen, and God sets you up for these really cool experiences. You know, Cece and I went, you know, she rarely buys anything for herself. And that's why she has me. Because I buy, buy stuff for her all the time that she would never buy. Ever. In fact, the other day she mentioned to me that she may just go down to one pair of shoes. And I was like, I don't even get that. Like, no. Like, because, you know, if you know me, you're going to get shoes and electronics. I mean, that's just, that's life. It's breath. I don't care about food or sleep. But... And so we went, I'm going to tell her, we went to, she decided to get a new um, comforter, which, like I said, this is really rare for her. And and usually she just likes a hand-me-down, you know, and I don't want any hand-me-downs. Don't, don't let me go to the thrift store. I don't want any. I'm the person filling the thrift store. <laughs> I don't want to go there. And so while we were there, I was like, oh, you need this. And see, in that moment, the Holy Spirit breathes on me. But he's not breathing on her. 
In fact, it's, I'm going to use this word. I know you don't like it. Okay, you can straighten it up later. It offends her. My generosity offends what little orphanism was taught to her. And it rises up. Come on. Now see, listen, God is setting you up for this to happen. This story I'm telling you right now, it may not be about a comforter, but watch this week. You're going to be offended when you don't get to do a small thing. Right? Are you with me? Come on. I I need you to be with me. Because listen, he's trying to expand you. And that little way you're thinking is so small, but you feel like it's stretching. Let me finish his little quote, okay? He says, answers are the tools of doctors, while questions are the tools of surgeons. Questions clarify. Questions expose what you're hiding, even from yourself. If there's one thing I've learned from Jesus, it's this. Often the best answer is the right question. To the frustration of everyone around him, Jesus never seemed to answer the questions he was asked. (laughs) He always found a way to redirect the conversation. You could easily conclude that Jesus was simply always avoiding the subject. Yet the truth was actually to the contrary. He used questions as a way of cutting straight into the heart of the matter. In many ways, the question creates the context for the answer. A question can be a catalyst for endless possibilities, or it can be a mechanism used to imprison your mind to limit the answers that are possible. So, I was thinking that since... Your promise attracts conflict. Then it requires us to look at why does he care? Why does the enemy care about you? Why is it that you wake up and you feel crappy? Why does he care? Why does he send all those random crazy thoughts into your mind that you put action And see, remember, I'm thinking this this week because I'm hearing things some of y'all are saying. And I'm thinking, why? (laughs) Why would someone say that? Why would they think that? Because they're living from an orphan heart. They're living from a heart that has no idea of its value. I like, he says... The word of the Lord, this is Bill again, the word of the Lord actually attracts conflict and it's important that it does because there's always competition for what we're going to believe. Do you get that? Why? Have you ever believed something before and you changed your mind and then you look at what you believed and you figured out why you believed it? It made sense, didn't it? But it was still stupid. Wasn't it? I mean, once even just because you understand why you believe it, it still doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it kingdom. And see, that's what God's trying to do right now 
with our imagination. He needs it to get cleaned up. He needs your imagination to imagine with him why you're here. He needs your imagination to be his tool in his tool bag, right? You know, one of the things that happens to us is that we, are y'all good? We aren't taught how to use these spiritual gifts that are so powerful. You know, just like the snow patrol, you know, they're all excited about snow, but they didn't think about all the things it would cancel. They didn't think we wouldn't be able to go to work. They wouldn't. Th- they didn't think about. They just thought about what the white fluffy stuff looks pretty. But see, you know, I was. I've been messing with them a little bit this week because I'm like, look what you did. Your prayers, they were far-reaching, and they created chaos. See, that's how much power we have. See. Our foresight, our ability to see when it just has to do with what we like is so narrow. So use that analogy on people, on your destiny. Are we praying out of just something we want? Just make this go away. Just make this easier. Give me something white and fluffy. And we don't realize we're getting, how many prayers did you pray that you're getting the answers to? What was their outcome? You know, we say we want a better job or more money, but did what happens when we get that? Are we better stewards? Are we better givers? See, here's what you have to remember is that if God blesses you, it's to give, not to make you more comfortable because you're already valuable. You already are doing Matthew 6.30, hopefully. All these things. But see, when we're focused on our checkbook, when we're focused on our bank account, when we're focused on, oh, well, I want to eat this next week, or I want to do that next week, or I want to go there, well, fast. That'll give you some money. I'm just saying that God requires greater stewardship the more of the promise that I value. Your life won't feel satisfied unless you do the promise. Any counterfeit of it. I wrote this after listening. For every promise, to be all, for every promise, there's a counterfeit. What is a counterfeit? You know, I'm sure Cheryl can tell us working in banking, there's not a lot of pennies that are counterfeited, right? Probably not a lot of $1 bills, right? They didn't make a pin to draw on the front of a $2 bill, right? They made it because they were counterfeiting $100 bills. Hundreds of dollars can make an impact. Hundreds of counterfeit dollars can bankrupt a country. Do you understand what I'm saying? That the bank's not finding out if those are counterfeit just to protect the bank. It's to protect the value of the system of the dollar so that when you... it See, see your entire life has the ability to be counterfeited. 
Maybe you need to get you a counterfeit marker so you can rub it on a few decisions. Let's see if it comes out true or counterfeit. Maybe you need to take a few of your words and get your marker out and run it over the words you're saying to see. Because since you're a creator and since your imagination is used to create then what's coming out of your mouth, you actually get. And so see, it, the prom, because you have a promise over your life, it attracts the enemy. It, every promise is a seed. Just like I told you before, every encounter is a seed. All the stuff comes in seed form. So the enemy's lies, lies are in seed form. You can take everything you fear and you can trace it back to a childhood seed. A childhood word that you're still trying to get over. That you have not looked like, acted like, or been like probably most of your life. It's in seed form. So see, if I plant a seed, a word, from the enemy, and I believe it enough... I assign value to it. I put my faith to it. See, my belief and my value, my speaking it, my regurgitation of it, that's my faith in action. I mean, trust me, I, I get this. I, we came from a background where you were just supposed to talk about everything a lot, you know, I'll just let me talk a lot about things that aren't good in my life. So maybe somebody will hear me and they'll meet my need financially. Do y'all remember those days? That's what we did in the church. We all got together and we talked about who didn't have what and whoever got the worst story got the brownie that day. We did. We got together. Well, I don't have enough to pay rent. Do you have enough to pay rent? No. How much are you short? I'm 100 short. I'm a 500. Okay, well, you get the brownie because you're 500 short. We did this in different ways. We didn't use those words. Don't get, but that's what we were doing. Same thing with our health. Let's just go there. I have a headache. I don't feel good. My back hurts. My knee hurts. Listen, I don't have nothing that doesn't hurt every day. But don't, there ain't no need to talk about it. I mean, it doesn't make it better. How many, don't raise your hand. But here's a good probing question for you. How many of you stop activities because of how you feel physically? See, we have to remember nothing should stop us from our assignment. If a little headache can knock you out, well, the enemy's like, hey, I got a headache for you next week too. I had a headache this week. Anybody have a headache this week? Look at there. Just stuff happens. See, it's, it's more about where I'm putting my faith. If I have a headache a lot, well, then get a team of people around me and let's focus on breaking the stronghold of the headache because that's all from the enemy. And when I reduce my activity based on the lies that he sends my way, then pretty soon I'm living such a small life I can only do activities when everything's perfect, when I feel good, when the sun has aligned, when there's no stars out. I don't know. And it invites more conflict. Yeah. The enemy uses the words of God, the promises, 
the seeds of God to construct the counterfeit. Because he has no creativeness. He's not ingenious. Do you know what ingenious means? He's not inventive. He has, he has no capacity of creating. Okay, listen. Let me help you. Do you hear any angels praying? Is there a scripture in the Bible? Well, see, he's a fallen angel. Do you hear any scriptures in the Bible where the angels came down and they spoke over heaven and earth and they said stuff? Well, he's got the same power. The power to create on earth is given to man. So he's not creative. He's not inventive. He's not original. So the enemy is none of those things. So his suggestions can only come from what he hears. So what does he hear from you? Right? Does he hear orphan language? See, do you hate orphan language? Does anybody hate it? Does any, can anyone recognize it? Just five people? Can, just, can anybody recognize orphan thinking? Well, see, you need to get an orphan dictionary then. Because, see, I think we are using words... Especially you old people that have been raised in religion, we're using words that, that used to solicit activity of concern. Say that back to yourself a few times. Now, I know none of you young people do this, <laughs> right? You're not saying words. None of you under, th- I gotta go up a little higher now, don't I? Under 39. Look at that. Y'all are advancing in age. I used to say under 30, and man, y'all are just crossing over. What was I saying? Yes. See, we, we use this language from an orphan heart, hoping it solicits what? Care, concern, help, right? It's not the answer. Listen, whenever... I, this year, we are focusing on doing something with our creativity, right? Remember, it's, we're trying to turn it into an industrial place. So our prayers, our creation with our words has to be about that. We have, you know, obviously we remodel this whole place. We need to pay for that. Our words and our activities and our functions should move toward making sure we keep functioning that way, right? Yeah. And so we, if you ask him, give me ingenious ideas to advance what I'm, I've, I'm a part of. Yeah. I mean, you want that for your natural family, right? Surely right. you want to be able to eat tomorrow. Right. Well, then your spiritual family is the same way. Yeah. They want to be able to eat too. So when we change our mindsets and we're like, okay, because we just moved in here, it attracts the enemy's activity. Are you aware? Are you praying forward in advance? You know, when we were thinking about going out on Friday, you got to think, you got to pray in advance. 
You can't just go out there and you meet some opposition and you're like, oh gosh, that, that wasn't God. <laughs> no, you're going to attract this week, I'm telling you, anyone who is so excited about going out on Friday, you're going to attract conflict this week. But conflict's not bad. You scaredy cats? Conflict isn't bad. It's a place for you to exercise your spiritual authority in a place that's not going to kill you. What muscle, what spiritual muscle is, is on his radar for you right now? Think about it. I can tell you for Breezy. Waiting. She's wait. She's in the waiting. She's trying to keep her gift under a covering. And man, it's hard because she's a horse with an Arabian, as I said last Sunday. I didn't think that Mendel was going to be able to make it after me saying that. A saddle on an Arabian. Of course that's what I meant. Not a horse on an Arabian. Of course, she visualized a horse on an Arabian. That was an interesting visualization. Just my words paint pictures all the time. Horses on Arabians is a whole thing. That's probably actually more like it. <laughs> Truth has never been told. Now, the other thing I wanted to mention before Mendel comes and reads her word is that he was talking about the level, Bill was, the level of anxiety we live in reveals how often we subject ourselves to inferior things. Wow. So, the, so think about it. What area is weak for you? Do you have what Tessa said, the fear of rejection? What happens if you have the fear of rejection? I propose to you every place that we have fears like that are places she's meant to experience rejection. But who's doing the rejecting? The world. I can promise you there's no one in here rejecting Tessa. We're all like, you are delicious. I want more of some Tessa in my, in my world. I mean, me and Tessa would hang out 24-7 if it wasn't for us needing to eat life. She's my girl. She's my bomb. She's my jam. She's like me. We get each other. See, she's meant to experience rejection. So being afraid of it didn't make it stop. It was the fear of how it would make her feel that we've been shoring up. Because she's meant to do stuff that the world will reject. I mean, that's why she wears those clothes. She's meant to be rejected. It's not a thing for her. She, the core of the promise of God in her life says, you don't care. Get yourself out there because you don't care what anybody thinks. You're meant to say something enough that it gets rejected. So that I, so the Holy Spirit then has something to work with in somebody else. That thing that rises up in them that rejects it, that's what he's working on. That's why it rises up. It attracted some conflict. I mean, that's a big deal for her to see beyond, especially in her area of concern, her family, or used to be, 
That was a big deal for her. What if they re- they were rejecting her? I tell Mendel it's the same thing for Mendel. I'm like, well, they were rejecting you before you even knew that's what was happening. They never did see her. They never did see her. How many can say that about your family? They never did. See- well, we don't care. We they we don't need their vote. They don't have a ballot for your life. And so, so that that's not a need in us anymore. Of course they reject it. Of course they don't get you. Of course they think you're doing stupid things. Of course they think you're deceived. Of course. So the level of anxiety we live with in our life reveals how often we subject ourselves. We subject ourselves. We invite and it says this, the inferior will always raise our level of anxiety and our awareness of potential failures, problems, regrets, and guilt. Wow. So that just tells me I just got distracted. So my level of anxiety that, oh my gosh, whatever your area of weakness is, that's, that is truly, simply put, people-pleasing. And so my awareness of how people might feel. And see, we do this thing where we become aware that we're aware. That we shouldn't even want to be or feel rejected. We, we become aware, I shouldn't be feeling this way. And then we do all these coping mechanisms to try to prevent our opportunity for someone to be aware of it. Whew, that just went right over y'all's head, didn't it? And so see... That becomes an activity of our soul that I'm trying to make sure that this doesn't happen. This actual rejection doesn't happen. So then I became aware that I have that. And so now I'm doing this whole song and dance trying to make sure everybody understands what I'm saying. Make sure everybody follows me. Make sure everybody knows my heart. Make sure everybody knows I'm in the game. Make sure everybody knows all this stuff. And it's still the same activity. Your promise attracted conflict. And that's how you're dealing with the conflict. See, what you have to come to is, yes, your call is going to attract conflict. It's going to attract the enemy. But it's what Tessa said. Can you be aware that there is another mission on the heart of God besides me reacting with orphan thinking? Agreed? Bill said this, that the enemy wants to steal Whatever seed was spoken. Think about my favorite parable, the parable of the seeds. The enemy's waiting. See, today, the worship that worship that we had, worship that we had, it prepared your heart to receive the this the whole bunch of seeds. That are being delivered to you right now. You can't get it all right here listening to me. The reason why we even record things. When I've been recording stuff since 2009. The reason why we record stuff is because it's meant to be replayed. Because your heart gets prepared in a way that you don't even know. And then he comes in and he delivers a seed. But how well... You have to relearn that seed depends on how well it got planted. So if that seed doesn't get planted, you're going to hear me two years from now say something that I've probably just said today, and you'll be like, wow, that's awesome. 
And I already said it 10 years ago. I know this is going to be hard for y'all to understand, but I ain't saying nothing new that I haven't said since 2010. Right? But your your heart, your soul catches up with believing, oh my gosh, I need to treasure and ponder the things of the Spirit more than the things of my soul. Otherwise, my soul will have its perfect work. My soul will reject something that God put in my life because it seems logical to me. You know, there's always two groups of people in the room, those who work with logic and those who don't think. <laughs> what category are y'all in? Like when I'm speaking, are you like, oh my gosh, I'm not, I don't get that. I don't know what she's talking about. That doesn't make any sense to me. It's not Super Bowl Sunday. I don't know anything about that. It's just, or, or is it like, well, I don't know. Let me go out and try that in a logic way and see if I can make that happen. You know, the things of the Spirit are operating on this superior realm. If I can't teach you anything, I can teach you how to operate in the supernatural. And it is not natural. Now, there may be some natural things that happen that are logical, but they, they, they don't fall into the kingdom model. You know, it doesn't make any sense to give money where you don't think you have money. But see, I can't get the extra blessing when I'm just barely squeaking by. That's an indicator I'm not giving enough. And I can't see where I could give more because I've got it all allocated on my spreadsheet. That's why your face says, well, wait. I heard the activation of receiving more is in giving, whether it be time or money or resources or just Leaning in, right? I mean, the boys came over and shoveled our driveway yesterday in our backyard. And I was like, oh, see, they're just hankering for a big blessing. I mean, that, now I don't know. They may have had a stinky attitude about it and then they won't get the blessing. I don't know. I didn't check in with their motive. See, because that's the thing is my motive determines my result, not my activity. My motive of my heart determines the blessing that comes back to me. So if I'm, if I hear this message today and I'm like, gosh, Teresa's just saying, she's just always wanting money and just making me feel guilty, then your extra giving. (laughs) See, it's about the motive. Where where am I putting my faith? It's where I put my value. And when I put my values towards the things of God and the things that he says he's called me to, the place where I eat the buffet every week, then he says, I want to pour you out a blessing you cannot contain. As opposed to hating on somebody for giving me a raise, hating on somebody for blessing me, hating on somebody. See, we're just squelching the flow of God because our motive was off the whole time. All right, come on, Mendel. Yes, it helps. Good word, huh? So good. Well, um, there's so much that this touches on. (laughs) So much material to share. Um, But the Holy Spirit did wake me up last night with a really powerful um, word that was both a, 
it comes from a loving father, but I also, you know, it's a loving father will give us correction and, and warning. And, um, man, fathering is on his, he values fathering so much. He loves being a father. Like first and foremost, that's what he loves is being your dad, being your father. He loves the, the process, the parenting process with us. And so he's really excited about this season in our life because he knows what we're in position to do in partnership with him. And he knows that his, his kingdom is advancing. He knows that one life is advancing. He knows that there's momentum in our lives right now and that we're branching out and we're expanding and stepping out in new ways. And everybody here is going to be a part of it and is already actively a part of it. And he's so excited about that. And so a good father is going to come and say, hey, guess, watch for this thing, you know, watch for this one thing. And so as I read this word, I know, I think Lenny touched on this a few weeks ago before the word of the year, that a lot of people will hear some words and think they know what it's about and they will decide, pre-decide, you know, whether it's for them or not. And I just want to caution you against doing that today. I'm telling you every single person, there's something in this word for every single person, no matter your background. It doesn't matter if you're, if you fall in the over-responsible category or the under-responsible category, if, you know, whichever side of whatever system you grow up in, there's something in this word for every single person. And so I want to and Tisa says it's the best thing I've ever written. <laughs> so I want to encourage you, even if you don't hear it today, look this word up again, revisit it, find the nugget for you in this word. Don't let it pass you by. Okay. So I woke up in the middle of the night with this incredible, this really intense, um, grievous kind of feeling that was overtaking me and I couldn't shake it. And so I asked, you know, Papa, what is this something that's on your heart? And what came out was really um, surprising even to me, but I knew it, it hit the nail on the head with what I was feeling. So it was very intense. And he said, orphans pretending to be kings. Orphans pretending to be kings. Where is the authenticity? Why am I grieved with the hands holding my treasures? Is this a temple for a king or a place for old burnt offerings? Who is stewarding my gold? Who is stewarding my treasure? Is it a king or a court jester? Beware the hand that mocks me with their lack of authenticity. The orphan bows, but only to receive only to meet its own need. Where are the kings and queens who bow to truly serve me? Where are the humble in heart who long to meet my need? I hope everyone's listening to this word. Don't check out. Listen and pay attention to this word, okay? I'm telling you. The orphan bows only to, but only to receive, only to meet its own need. Where are the kings and queens who bow to truly serve me? Where are the humble in heart who long to meet my need? 
I would rather the orphan remain not yet a son than an inauthentic king. That's a strong caution. We know how much sonship means to him, but he says, I would rather you not know that you're a son yet than be in a place of of an inauthentic king. Orphans cannot stand for me. Orphans cannot wield my authority. Orphans cannot serve as king for me. Only a son, only a daughter can reign with me. Anyone else is operating in false authority. My kingdom is pure from top to bottom, built on foundations that can't be shaken. False systems cannot remain and will never be able to sustain the weight of my glory. Woe to those who step out for me operating in false authority. My heart is grieved to see the orphan standing for me when all I ask is for them to receive from me, to receive my fathering, to receive my freely given offering. The gift I hold and extend to my children is of far greater value than a crown placed on the head. I offer my heart. I offer the all of me. I offer the fullness of fathering. I offer gifts far greater than position or rank or authority. I offer far more than autonomy and self-sustaining abilities. I offer family. I offer legacy. I offer and have given my all for you to be a son or a daughter to me. So this was really heavy on his heart, and I could feel how grieved he was and how intense and how important of a warning this was, and I just asked him to help me see. How does this even apply to us right now? How, where is this happening? Because I would say that we're a fairly mature tribe. We have a lot of deep, wonderful training here. And we've gone through a lot of renewing of our minds. So where is this apply? If you're waking me up in the middle of the night, the night before service, to say, what, where is this happening in us? Yeah. And so again, I want to say, as a declaration, there is a place in this word for you to receive from. There's no one in the room who will escape this word having something for you that you haven't seen before. Whether you see it now or you get it later, there's something new that you haven't seen that you need to see, and Papa's trying to show it to us. So Papa went on and he said, I never needed you to do it alone. I never needed you to have strength on your own. I never needed you to prove ability to me. I never needed you to own something just for the sake of proving responsibility. I only needed you to receive fathering from me, to be a son or daughter to me. This must come first. This must be established above all else. There is no kingship, no royalty, and children without a father. There is no kingship, no royalty in children without a father. 
And I just want to propose to you here, we all know, right, on some level we're, we're, we're Papa's sons and daughters. But I'm telling you, there's a part of, in your mind and in your operating system that is not operating with that knowledge. There's a part of you that is still a child without a father. And there's no kingship and no royalty in children without a father. An orphan isn't only a child in need or a child in lack. Orphans are running multi-million dollar corporations and leading all sorts of organizations. Those self-made successes are simply richly dressed and overfed orphans dining on food that will never feed. Orphans aren't only those wandering the streets. They're the ones checking all the boxes, getting all the degrees, juggling both career and family. They're the ones receiving praises for their outstanding abilities. You see, independence was never meant to be the goal of fathering. Somewhere along the way, orphans began to raise families. They thought the goal was to make sure their children were never in need. It sounds right, right? Make sure your children are never in need. Then, an orphan they would not be. So they aimed to teach them how to stand on their own two feet and said they succeeded when their children no longer needed them. They thought orphanhood could be avoided by ensuring they no longer needed. They thought the equation could be solved by ending the state of needing, of having need. The emphasis was on stopping the nature of having need rather than providing for the need. This is the difference between fathering from an orphan and fathering from a son. You see, as a father, I never aimed to rid you of need. Just let that, let that hit you. I've thought of like three, five different ways that that right there hits my mindsets. I never aimed to get to rid you of need. That was never my intention. I aim to provide for your need. I aim to ensure your forever connection to a family, an inheritance, a legacy, a kingdom that would forever meet your needs. I never aimed to sever your need of me. I never considered that maturity. In fact, in my family, the mature are the ones most aware of their need of me. Take, take a moment to think about that. I think we are so uncomfortable with our need because it scares us. We have poverty mindsets. We have all these different things. And so we just want to get out of it. We want to make it stop. And he's saying the most mature are the ones who sit in the most awareness, feeling every aspect of their need. Not denying it, not avoiding it, not trying to play it down, not trying to talk themselves out of it, not trying to solve it with some other thing, but actually sit in the feeling and the awareness of need. That's who he says are the most mature in his family. My family design is built on covenant connections meeting needs, not eliminating them. 
The goal isn't to provide for your needs so that the need stops. It, it's, uh, think about that. That's, I always thought that. If something should provide for my need or I need to find a way for something to provide for my need or somebody that loves me will provide for my needs so that the need will stop. But that's, he's saying that's, that's a broken system right there. It's, we're actually meant, the need is supposed to continue. It's supposed to be a hunger. It's supposed to be developed into something that bonds us and, and, and connects us. My family design is built on covenant connections, meeting needs, not eliminating them. In my family, in my kingdom, you are meant to remain in need of each other and me. My family is aware that legacy is built not through independence, but through the strength of being interwoven in unity. I want to propose saying interwoven in our need interwoven in need. Connection is maintained and strengthened and the family grows and expands its original connection to me. This is why orphans cannot rule in my kingdom because orphans are simply operating without me. Let me rephrase that. Orphan mentalities are operating without him. Orphans don't build on the foundation of the previous generation or on what was freely given. They seek to build their own to prove their lack of need. The goal is just to eliminate need, prove that I don't need it. I, I've got that covered. I've made the need stop. Success. But that's not what he wants at all. He said, daughter, son, you are not made whole or complete by no longer having need. You are not made whole by wielding authority for me. You are made whole by relearning how to need. How to lean. How to be a daughter or a son to me. The how of need, saying, think of needing as a, a verb, like something we do. We've got to relearn the how of need. Whether you're one who wants to tell everybody about your needs or you're one who just wants to satisfy all your needs on your own, which wherever you are on the spectrum of how needs operate, he's saying we need to relearn the how of needing, how need is meant to work in our life in us, with him, with each other, the whole thing, how, by relearning the how to need, how to lean, how to be a daughter or a son to me. Orphan mindsets of any kind on any level, on any level, will not sustain the weight of my glory. They will not serve as a foundation for my anointing. Press in to pure sonship, to prepare for your next season. We've got a, a lack of purity in our sonship is what I'm hearing him say. And it's hidden 
despite all of our best attempts, beside, despite all the classes and books and teaching and, and messages we've heard and mentoring and all of it, there are hidden mindsets of orphanism that we're still operating with. And he's saying, it's not a pure foundation for what I'm anointing you to do in this season. It's not solid. It won't work. We've got to be relentless about the things that even if it's just as small as a splinter, we've got to extract it because it won't hold the anointing. It won't, it won't work as a foundation. Despite our best intentions, despite our heart, all of that. And so the loving father that he is, he's pointing this out to us to say, watch out right now. Look for this right now in your operating systems. It's hidden in there. And it also means that he's prepared and he's given you everything that you need to extract that thing and to replace it with the how to need with him. Yeah. It means it's time right now. All the provision is there. Yeah. All the provision is there. And we don't have to be scared of the need for even retraining, right? The need for having our mind renewed. He's provided it all. In fact, he's saying, embrace the need. It's part of our covenant relationship. It's how I meant for us to operate together. It's how I meant for you to operate with each other. Just like in mentoring, I'm sure you've, the goal of mentoring isn't so that to, for you to reach a point that you never need a mentor. It's so you learn how to be, to receive from each other and you receive from back and forth from each other. And then you grow and you expand. You add more people to your circle that you're, you're giving and receiving from. There's the active that needs remain active. And we get the joy of meeting them in our family. And so I want to pray over us before I share one more thing. Holy Spirit, I just thank you for the power and the provision, the grace that you have already supplied over this word. I thank you that when you woke me up in the middle of the night to, to deliver this word, to, to write this word, that you empowered every single word. You empowered the sound of my voice, this moment, the airtime, whether it's streaming later on or now, you empowered this moment that people are hearing this word for their hearts to be changed, for their minds to be changed, for the splinters that remain of orphanism to be extracted I wholeheartedly believe in, with everything in me that you are extracting that right now. You are extracting that, and that means you're causing the splinter to rise to the surface, which means we're going to see it. It's going to show up. And so, Papa, I just say as a declaration that we will embrace the splinter when it shows up. We'll look at it. We won't be mad about it. We won't be offended about it. We won't be afraid of it. We won't try to run from it, but we'll say, that's that thing right there. And we will thank you. We'll just say, thank you for your mercy that you would show us. So we thank you, Papa. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Holy Spirit. We thank you that you are the most loving, warring, warrior team, parenting team that we could ever, ever dream of. I thank you that you are doing such a powerful work in us right now, that you are liberating us from orphan mindsets that keep us in bondage. We are a passionate tribe trying to run forward. We want to run forward with the passion of the fire that you've lit inside of us. So I thank you for freeing us from the chains that hold us back, that trip us up. 
So I thank you, Holy Spirit, for breathing over this word, for watering the seed of this word in the coming days. I ask that you would give each person a new measure of courage just to, to walk this word out in their per personal lives, to face the things that rise up in them when that splinter comes to the surface. Thank you for grace, the supernatural power to do and to implement this word and have it see it completely fulfilled in them personally. So we thank you, and I just seal it up right now in the name of Jesus, and we say yes and amen to this process in each and every individual. Yes and amen in Jesus' name. Well, I just wanted to share one other thing that um, it, I hope everyone is, is listening to the word of the year and really pondering on how to implement the word of the year. That's what this year is about, is yeah. learning how to implement and how that word applies and, and enjoying the process of it shifting our mindsets. Yeah. And I've just recently discovered um, a really powerful tool in it, in this process of having our minds renewed. You know, it's just, it's not easy. You can hear people tell their testimony, it is great, but like Tessa shared with her testimony, that involved lots and lots of combined hours and minutes and days and weeks and who knows how long of warring of, of contending for a renewed mind in each individual area. It's not easy, but he gives us powerful tools if we'll listen for them and really try them out. And so in the word of the year, you know, we talked about the emphasis of the imagination is what happens before we create with our words is that we see it in a picture, right? That's what God did himself as he imagined us. He saw what we would look like before he ever spoke the words and spoke us into, into creation. And so we were talking about how to implement that into our process. And so what I discovered for myself is that those images are really, really powerful. They will provide really strengthening anchors for me. That's one reason I think that I love dreams so much and that he gives us dreams is because we actually get the image first before we get the interpretation of the dream, right? It's, and it's a powerful image. And it, I mean, those things will hold me for a long, long, long time. Some simple little picture. And so I realized that what the enemy has done, of course, is to um, paint these pictures, either give us real life scenarios or scenarios or examples or whatever, where we have the picture to go along with the fear or the guilt or the anxiety or whatever it is, the poverty mindset. We have a, we have the picture in our mind that supports it. And we easily ruminate on that. We easily look at it before we even realize what we're doing. We're looking at an image. And so then we're told truth, right? To counter that thing. And we may even learn to recognize oh, that's a guilt thought. I don't want to think about that anymore. I know that guilt is not true. We may be that good at it, you know, in our process. But what I'm learning is just knowing a concept of a truth is not quite powerful enough to debunk and contend with the picture that the enemy's already painted with the lie. Because it still has this impact of the image in our mind. And so I found myself the other night this guilt thought crossed my mind. I was just brushing my teeth, my own, my own business, you know, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't have said I was struggling at all, but this very common little guilt thought tripped by and I caught it and I was like, Oh, I'm not doing that. I know that's not true. And so 
This time I decided to, instead of just say, I know that's not true, I'm not listening to you, I started to declare with my words and imagine with my mind the truth over that. Okay, I'm, I spent like 15 minutes out loud in my room saying, man, what a powerful God you are. Look how you came in and redeemed that situation. Look how incredible that was. I mean, I could tell people testimonies of how you did this for me and think about how it would impact them. And I would, I would picture myself telling the testimony. I would picture the look on their faces when they heard the testimony. I would picture how that testimony would change their lives. I was like, maybe I can even write a book about this. And I just made it bigger and bigger and bigger and for about 15 minutes I just I I created in my mind imagery associated with the truth and it totally obliterated that little guilt thought I mean just obliterated it and I went to bed feeling thrilled I mean I was so happy I was happier than I was before the guilt thought even came by it was so powerful and, and so I'm going to, I'm going to incorporate this into my process. And so like Tisa said, it was, it's true. Offense is offended was an appropriate word. It offended. Um, she suggested I buy some curtains in, in addition to a comforter. And I was like, Whoa, I'm all about a comforter, but now you're talking about curtains. I didn't say anything about curtains, you know? And so she was really trying to encourage me. And I was like, no, no, no. Like All this stuff was coming up in me. And then I felt pressured and blah, blah. And I got all anxious and all this stuff. So it did. It offended an orphan spirit in me and, and a poverty mentality. But I honestly, I couldn't see what it was offending in that moment. I just didn't like it. And it created this whole thing in me. And so I knew this, sh I should not be feeling this way. I just know this anxiety is not from him. And she even wanted to buy the curtains for me. It wasn't even my money, but I was still upset about it, you know? And so I knew something wasn't right. And so I had to press in and try to find what, what was the lie in there. But it was really um, hidden. In fact, I didn't really see the fullness of it until the next day. I mean, it was really, really hidden. It was like, I can't even recount it all for you now, but it was basically in this roundabout way. I, I used the poverty mentality to give myself value there was the other things come up that would challenge my value of myself the way i felt about myself and without even knowing it the subtle subtle thing would come by and i'd walk through my room and i'd say yeah i remember when i got those curtains i have right now on sale <sighs> that i have value for myself if i'm thrifty because i was raised to ex, you know, excessive responsibility and not spending any money on yourself was valued in my family. And so I was, I had a lack of value from some other thought that came in and without even knowing it, I reverted back to an old orphan mindset to give myself value in that moment. And, but I, but by doing that, I reinforced the poverty spirit that I want broken so bad. So I just, you know, tied my own shoelaces together. Kind of thing. So it was like super, really, really subtle. And so, I mean, this is the kind of thing I'm saying he wants to do in each of us. There's subtle ways that we don't even realize how this is happening, even though we're, we're watching, we're really trying to pay attention and grow in this way, but um, we're sabotaging ourselves sometimes without realizing it. And so I'm going to be practicing Next time I notice something that I'm like, man, I'm feeling, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be aware that sometimes I feel like I don't have value. 
and for whatever reason, whatever thing comes by me, you know, but, and so I'm going to realize the enemies tripped me up in that area before and actually helped me reinforce a lie in another area. And so I'm going to practice this imagination thing and I'm going to, I'm not going to just say, well, I know God loves me because that's where I get my value from. And I know I'm valuable because I'm a daughter and I know he calls me his bright delight. And I know, you know, I'm not going to just leave it at that. I'm going to really make it bigger. I'm going to take time, not just when I feel good to receive from him, to receive value from him. But in that moment, I'm going to make the, the picture, the image of him valuing me bigger. And I don't even know how I'm going to do that yet, but I'm going to run with it. So like bright delights, a certain word. I'm going to think about a bunch of light in the room. I'm going to think about him smiling and light coming out of his smile when he's looking at me. And what, what, you know, is there brightness in his eyes when he's looking at me? I'm going to really make it big, like just expand it. And I think this is going to be a powerful tool for us in this season. Just our imagination is more powerful than we know. And it's a tool in this mind renewal process also. So, Papa, we just thank you again. I just release that word and release these tools and release the anointing and the power and the, the mercy over us to operate in them and to receive all that you're pouring out in this season. We love you. We love you. We love you. We love being your children. We love being your sons and daughters. Thank you for inviting us into new levels of fathering by you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from One Life OK. For more information, please visit us at onelifeok.com.